and we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 62. And you know what? We got some good feedback on your daddy issue. (laughs) (laughs) We sure did. Mm -hmm. Some people said, I'll fucking call you daddy. Mm -hmm. Some people said, no fucking way. Mm Mm-hmm. And they I said, I don't even call my daddy, daddy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know what I say? What? You do what you want to do, boo. Mm-hmm. Well, so Kay threw me off because, well, when she knows I, I do that, I feel like. <laughs> I, mean, I do. So then when she said it, I was like, what? Oh, my God. What? Huh? 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 And so I was just thrown off my game. Yeah. Like, you can't do that at a live show if we ever get there. <laughs> okay, I won't bring up daddy. <laughs> I mean, unless there's an older gentleman in the audience. Looking for a sugar baby? (laughs) I mean, I can be a little snack. (laughs) I can't be a snack because I'm a whole buffet. Okay. (laughs) And you always go back for seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Or thirds or fourths. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, then there's ice cream, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. (laughs) And if you're anything like that man we saw at the buffet, he took... Some out in a plastic bag. No, a Ziploc bag. Yeah. He was like, "Um, I'll take my uh, steak and pepper to go. (laughs) Thank you. Only he was totally holding it to the side. He did not ask for permission. No. He was like, running out, running out. Don't let him look at the bag. Run. (laughs) But I wanted to say that what I feel like I use it as is a very vanilla, very basic bitch kind of thing. Of BDSM. Yeah, I can see that. You know? All I can think of is, like, that's very Bowser of you. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you know, Bowser from uh, Mario Kart with his, like, chain neck and... You, uh, you call him Leather Daddy. I do call him Leather Daddy. Hey, Big Daddy. See? You, even in the game, you're... <laughs> well, you know what? Look, he got too many little Koopas running around. I ain't about that life. <laughs> I know, because, look, when he's dead... And the princess is saved. That bitch gonna try to come for your money. Uh-huh. And with all those motherfucker Koopas in tail. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. Too much. But Waluigi always gives me that rose. He does. He goes, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Moving on from that. <laughs> that took a turn. <laughs> the other thing we have to talk about real quick before we get to the show. Patreoners. That was good. Thank you. You even had like a little bit of like, like Bollywood dance with it when you did it. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I meant to do that. So, shout out and thank y'all all. Jessica C. from California. Sakwa C. from Kentucky. Sammy D. from California. Opal R. from Maine. Thank y'all so freaking much for being part of the Creepinati. And you know what? what? Real quick, a couple of people have been like, so what's Patreon to me lately? So, not to spend a whole lot of time on it because I know everybody doesn't like to hear it. But, Patreon is a way that you can support many, many podcasters with varying levels of monetary subscriptions for bonus content so it's not just us it's all the podcasters of the world come together on patreon (laughs) so check it out if you never heard of it don't know where what it is we start at one dollar go to 30 yeah so you can and you can give anywhere in between yeah and each it's tiered so that and each one has more and more content that builds on itself yeah and like gift cards that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. also I mean, right now, we have a backlog. I feel like there's probably hours of Uh listening stuff now. Oh, yeah. And you get it all whenever you join. And you don't have to use the Patreon website unless you listen on Spotify. Spotify does not let you put the RSS feed in there. But if you are five and up, you get all the bonus episodes. 
but you can put that RSS feed in like Apple Podcasts, mm-hmm. Stitcher, Pocket Casts, all of that. And so you don't have to go to the website. It mm-hmm. automatically downloads. It's like a creepster feed or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's not like, oh, I could never remember to get them. Like, hey, we deliver it, them to you. Right. It auto downloads. And we also put in pictures and stuff like that, too, like we do on the podcast notes for our normal mm-hmm. episodes. We try to do that every time we can on the other ones. So, anyway. Enough business. On to the show. <laughs> All right. I'm doing the story of Doris Byther. I don't want to say too much up front, so let's just enjoy a slow simmer. Doris McGowan, her maiden name, she was born 1941, I believe, because she was very evasive, somewhat cryptic regarding her background, so much that she refused to tell people how old she was. She grew up in an upper-class middle family. Sounds cushy, like everyone Mm -hmm. wants to grow up like that. But her parents were kind of terrible. Oh, no. Both were alcoholics and were said to have abused her and just, they did not get along. At the age of 10, Doris and her family moved to California from the Midwest, I believe, Illinois. Details of Doris's childhood, again, is not really clear because she's like Tiffany, she can keep a fucking secret. (laughs) So, in her teenage years, like 12, she had a major altercation with her family. Oh, at 12? Like, early, I don't know. It didn't... Again, we don't know her real age. Yeah. You know, so... She could have been 45. (laughs) So, we know that she moved at 10, supposedly, at 10, to California. Shortly after arriving in California, they had a major knockdown drag out. With that, they were like, we disown you. (gasps) At this point, she turned to, quote, unquote, the dark arts taking part in seances, toying with the dark magic. As her parents died off, as well as her aunt and uncle, because they are the ones who disowned her, Mm -hmm. she really learned how much they hated her because all of the inheritance, and again, they were upper middle class, Mm -hmm. it was left to her younger brother. Only? Mm -hmm. Oh, no. I mean, they did disown her. So, yeah. I mean, it stands, I mean, logically it would go to him, but that's terrible. Yeah. Well, it's like, okay, you can hate someone and disown them, but then I don't, I don't know. Like, that could be your final thing. Again. Yeah. It was their final fuck you to Yeah. Her. I know. Again, that's me wishing everything was wrapped up in a sparkly mm-hmm. glitter bow, you know, but. It's ain't a Hallmark movie. No. No one slipped, fell, hit their head. And met the love of their life. Damn it. Well, she's been out on her own for forever. But I feel like she was kind of banking on some of that money. She is a single mom of four kids from four different guys. Her life has just been hard. Yeah. So she's like, all right, I'm, you know, I got to do it. I'm going to keep on keeping on. Yeah. So, like I said, throughout her life, she's just failed marriages All of the turmoil from her childhood just carried over. So, she had a daughter who was six years old and three boys who were 10, 13, and 16 at this time. So, being a single mom to four kids from, you know, six to 16. And three of them boys. And you know how much those motherfuckers eat. Oh, my gosh. Almost as much as me. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> Your face was like, right. Oh. <laughs> well, that's a lie because 16 year old boys, they can fucking eat. They sure can. They can eat. And I, you know what I want to say to them? Fuck you. I know, because you're still whatever. I'm like, how did you eat 12 crystals? I want to eat a sack full. Just your leg hollow? Where's it go? <laughs> so this was more than Doris could really handle. And what she knew best was what her parents instilled in her. And that was alcohol. Oh. And so that's what she turned to. And that's not cheap. So money was just tight. Yeah. They grew up poor and under stress. Like, everyone was fucking stressed out. Money stress is legitimately... So hard. The most stressful thing in life. Mm -hmm. Like, there is... It's always on your mind. Yeah. I can't even imagine with kids. No, me neither. It's like... No, me neither. I... I, Me neither. (laughs) So much so, me neither. (laughs) Brian Harris is her... The middle boy. He was interviewed later... And what he said was that the overall feeling of everyday life was that of being isolated most of the time. Yeah, the house was small, but since we were so separated, you felt alone and isolated. There was obviously tension between the three young boys and their mother. Mm. Just everything was extremely negative. And it really seemed that all the boys, especially the oldest just harbored resentment and just dark feelings towards their mother. Now, picture it. August 22nd, 1974, Culver City, California. I'm picturing it. Beautiful weather. Beautiful weather. So sunny during the day, but kind of a little bit of a chill at night. I know, perfect. You need, look, it's, it's, you need a light jacket. Mm-hmm. A small tangent time. My sister and her ex-husband they lived in california and me and my brother went out when i was in sixth grade so what year was that golly was it that long Mm -hmm. i don't know and we went out there and i don't know why i'm so dumb but i was like there's mountains here and stuff and i was like it looks like a movie set because they were just, like, off in the distance, mm-hmm. and so it was kind of, like, hazy. You yeah. Know? I'm like, it looks like a movie set. This is amazing. Like, it's so beautiful. <laughs> and everyone's like, what? And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I can't stop staring. It's everywhere. <laughs> like, what the hell? Little Donna wasn't good at geography. Either. No. Mm-mm. Then, fast forward to 10th grade, we went back, and... We went to Alcatraz, which I need to do one day, and my hatred for birds was... Coined? Started? Something? <laughs> yeah, my hatred for birds was uh, birthed that, that day, mm-hmm. because they were like, warning, when you're going up this slope, that you had to walk up a fucking slope, even little Donna, well, little Donna was never little Donna. <laughs> that lady was really nice to me when she said that. <laughs> she, she was not sizes. <laughs> She said, I'm going to make that girl feel good. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) They were like, don't stop and just keep going because the birds will swoop. Because they would put nests. Oh, yeah. And the moms. I'm like, I don't want your fucking birds. Like, (laughs) I'm just trying to get. I'm like, Like, you sounded like, I know you never watched the movie, but you sounded like Forrest Gump's mom when she's having sex with the principal. (laughs) (laughs) 
So Doris is now in her 30s, you know, question mark, question mark. (laughs) And she's at a bookstore, you know, perusing. And she overhears a conversation. And like Carrie, she has a bionic ear and she can hone in on whatever they're saying. And this conversation will end up changing not only her life, but also the people that she's eavesdropping on. <gasps> not where I thought this was going. Dun-dun-dun. Thank you. I was waiting for the dun-dun-dun. Sorry, I was, I was trying to, in my brain, I was like, I really thought this was going to be a poltergeist. And then <laughs> this is clearly not where this is going. And so I was like, <laughs> I had it all wrong. <laughs> well, I needed a dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> So the people having this conversation, it is Dr. Barry Taff, and he is a doctor in psychophysiology, a biomedical engineer, and a world-renowned parapsychologist. What the hell is a parapsychologist? Paranormal psychologist. Oh. I feel like that was pretty basic, Carrie. (laughs) So all around, he could do like a TED Talk. And he was discussing some issues at a haunted house with an associate named Carrie Gaynor. And so they're browsing the books too and like, can you believe what that guy's did? Blah, 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 blah. Da, 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 da. You know that. Mm-hmm. And old Doris is like, do you hear what I hear? You know, and was like, oh, let me reach for this book. And by the way, my house is haunted. And they were like, oh, okay. You know, like, okay. Well, so they're like, we need the research. Mm -hmm. We'll do it as a volunteer thing. Let's just see what this, like, crazy person has to say. And if it's not haunted, we go, whatever. And this is in the 70s, so people trusted people more. Like, if Mm -hmm. someone came up now, they'd be like, holy water on you and just Mm -hmm. test it first. You know what I mean? So later that day, they arrive at Doris's home on Braddock Drive And Dr. Taff, he noted that the home was in shambles. It was small, kind of like a shack. When they go inside, it's dirty. Dishes are piled up everywhere. They talking about my house? (laughs) It was just trash everywhere. You know, whatever. I didn't see any pictures of this, so I have no idea. He could have just been a neat freak. Mm -hmm. And it's a house with four kids in it? Mm Mm-hmm. And she's one person, yes. probably working, multiple jobs. Mm-hmm. You so know. the house is lived in yeah. by four kids. Mm-hmm. And three of them are boys. Mm-hmm. And one's a 16-year-old. So you know he's got rappers laying everywhere. <laughs> and probably Kleenex. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Later on, Dr. Taff was being interviewed, and he said that the house had been condemned twice by the city, but Doris's son, Brian, he later denied that. He was like, it wasn't ever like that. Yeah. And it wasn't as bad as they're making it out to be. So, we don't He's know. He's just snooty and she-she. Mm-hmm. And they are working class. Poor working class, probably. Yeah. And, again, five people living in a little house. Yeah. It's, I mean, you put one thing on the floor and it's messy. Yes. We know Tasmanian Devil. We know. (laughs) In the initial discussion when they got there, Dr. Taff was like, all right, so she has an abusive childhood and that she was kind of demonstrating symptoms of just psychological trauma. And, you know, he's 
analyzing it. Yeah, couldn't think of the fucking word because I'm not a fucking doctor. And apparently not a good researcher because why didn't I write that word down? <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. He didn't, like, just dismiss the case, but he was like, mm, he was a carry right now. Mm-hmm. Like, mm, okay. The first thing Doris said was, all right, soon after we moved in, I received a knock at the front door and I opened it and there was this lady who was like 70 or 80 and she was an old Mexican lady. I didn't know her. Like we just moved in and she seemed somber and she just like was staring at me. And then this is what she said. You need to get out. I used to live here in this old house back when it was just a farm and I was a little girl. There is something very evil here. This place is haunted and you need to get out. What do you even do in that situation? Like stand there with your mouth open? But I mean like do you... I don't fucking know. Yeah. She doesn't have the money to move. This shit's expensive to move. Yeah. Well, the lady turned on her heels and left without saying another word. Oh my god. So this kind of unnerved Doris and her oldest son. And what's super important about this is that it was just a few months after that when the attacks began. Doris went on to describe some typical ghostly disturbances, such as... Knocks. Mm-hmm. Scratches. Yep. Sleep paralysis. Shadow men. Mm-hmm. You on the money. Okay. But then... She dropped a bomb on them. Baby. <laughs> Everyone, like, leaned in, like, ooh. And then you said that, and they're like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> Way to ruin the mood. <laughs> That's usually my job. <laughs> so she goes on to tell them that she had been sexually assaulted <gasps> by three entities. <gasps> mm-hmm. The two smaller ones would hold her down while the taller one would rape her. So this is not the pirate wife. Yeah, this know? is not a good incubus. Right, right. Like, she's not asking for it. She did not want a menage a trois. Mm-mm. No, no, no. So they were like, skirt! Because at this time, this was the first time Dr. Taff and Carrie Gaynor had ever heard of spectral rape yeah and now we know more about it but this is because i feel like this is the first time i've ever heard of it too well like incubuses and stuff we've talked about oh i thought that it was usually wanted mm, not all the time no. okay i mean Haller anna nicole smith said that she had sex with a ghost and was raped oh i don't remember that so taff and gainer kind of exchanged glances and you know, kind of talked and was like, the fuck mm-hmm. with their eyes. They initially did not believe her. And they were like, all right, I think what you are experiencing is sleep paralysis. Again, with being held down. Yeah. You know, all of that. And it was at this point they referred her to a clinical psychologist who was on staff at UCLA and were like, girl, bye. However... They changed their minds when she called back in about two weeks and were like, look, other people, not just me, not just my kids, have seen 
shit happen. Some of her neighbors have seen figures in the windows and just lights on, like random shit. And someone actually had saw her being like physically manipulated, Mm -hmm. you know? And she goes on to say that her son actually witnessed her being raped (gasps) by all of these spirits. Her oldest son saw what was happening, tried to, you know, he heard screaming and was like, Ma? I don't know. He probably was like, playing a game. Mm -mm, His 70s, he wasn't yet. Is Atari out? Ping, ping, ping. You know the pong. (laughs) So he goes, he's like trying to, you know, pick her up or something, but he can't. And then he gets thrown (gasps) across the room. Oh my God. And he breaks his arm. (gasps) Then when they agreed to come back because they're like, all right, let's, let's see what's going on. Mm -hmm. This one, she's not going to quit calling us. So let's just go back and see. Well, they saw bruises on her inner thighs and other conspicuous wounds that kind of signify something was going on. Mm -hmm. In an interview later, Brian Harris, again, he was the middle son. He said, the whole rape thing was real. My room was right next door to my mother's and I would hear attacks happening. Things being thrown, her screaming, and then she would come out of the bedroom and have all of these bruises on her legs on her inner thighs, there were times where we would see it happen in front of us. It was as if a man was standing in front of my mother and would start to beat her. <gasps> Imagine a woman being beaten. You could see her being picked up and thrown around. Sounds, slaps, but there was no one there actually to do it. We all felt it too, pulling, biting, scratching. We were all attacked. Oh my God. So, what I picture is Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. You know, when Freddy gets them and it's like, you can't see it happening, but it's like, they go up the wall. Yes. And then whoosh, 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 thrash around and yes. all of that. That's what I'm picturing here. That's what I was picturing, too, but not that exactly. And, you know, Freddy was a horny fucking guy. Yes, he was. But I'll tell you what. Was it that movie, Freddy vs. Jason, that he had the dumbest one-liners? Oh, God. It was all of them. They, it got sillier and sillier. But back in the day, though, it was like, oh, damn, that's good. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, Yes. Because it there wasn't, I don't know, it was good back then. Yes. I will tell you, there's several times I can remember, like, being scared on instances, you know, mm-hmm. like, certain scenes. But one time, it fucking grossed me out. He's on the, I mean, someone's on the phone. Yes. And his fucking tongue comes yes. out. Yes. Uh-uh. Homie, Nasty. don't play that. Nasty. If you're in the Creepinati, you know that I cannot handle any kind of <laughs> tongue like, spit. Yeah. Oh, God. If we're not kissing and if I'm not, like, attracted to you, don't come near me. <laughs> when they arrived back again, they were met with the smell of rotting flesh. <gasps> Ew. Mm-hmm. And extreme drops in temperature in Doris's room. No air at this house. Again, shambles. Yeah. And it's hot, summer, and in her room, freezing cold. My kind of room. Right? I'm like, uh, mm-hmm. While they were doing their little inspections, you know, their EMF readers, blah, 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 you know. hmm They noticed that the house lights flickered occasionally, but they did not expect what happened next. 
what happened? They were interviewing one of the sons in the kitchen, just calmly talking, kind of going through their day-to-day stuff since they've been there. And one of the cabinets flung open and pots and pans fell violently out towards them without anyone touching them. And everyone suddenly became aware of some kind of presence in the room. And they had such pressure in their ears. Oh, God. Yeah. Also, during this visit, Candy is a friend of Doris's and also a psychic. So she's there. And at some point, she's like, I feel a presence in this room, in Doris's bedroom. So Barry Taff, he's like, oh, what is that? I'm coming. You know, rushes Mm -hmm. in there and flashes with a Polaroid. And so he's like, I'm going to get this. You know, so flashes, shakes it. Like a Polaroid picture. Hey, y'all. Yeah. However, when it did develop, it did not develop correctly. It was, Barry described it as being bleached white, kind of like overexposed. Mm -hmm. Almost almost like an orb was like really close. Mm -hmm. So this happened, you know, like she'd be like, okay, it's over here. And someone would snap the picture again, white. It's over here. Snap a picture again, white. Well, then they're like, all right, how about Doris goes out of the room and let's just see what's going on. Like see if that, makes any difference took a picture again fine what Mm -hmm. so it was just like all right it's got to be something with doris so doris comes back in and barry just happens to look over and he's looking at a doorway and for some reason he snaps a picture he didn't see anything he just randomly was like I'm going to take a picture. I guess he wanted to see if it was going to be white again. You know, I don't know since she came in. Well, it wasn't white, but what it did show was a small ball of light. But it was not there in real life. So while he's standing there patting himself on the back, he happens to look over towards the window and he sees several rapidly moving electric blue balls of light. Kind of like what was in the picture, but now he sees it in real life. But he's like, maybe it's headlights, maybe it's something. So as he's looking here, trying to debunk these lights, saying, okay, maybe it could be headlights, maybe it could be this. All of a sudden, the Polaroid snaps another picture by itself. What? Yeah. Nothing was really in this picture. Nothing was captured. It was just really weird that he didn't click this. Mm -hmm. And it was while he was trying to debunk these lights. So another trip to Doris's house. It was, I think, their third trip. It was notable because this was the first time everyone collectively saw the orbs. So there was a female photographer there that night. And again, everyone's looking at these orbs. And imagine he calls them like pulsating flashes of light. But what I picture is like really big 
lightning bugs. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's like, they're there, and then they're over here, yeah. you know? That's what I picture. Some people call them fireflies if they're like, the fuck is a lightning bug? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's my country coming out. <laughs> did you catch them in mason jars in your backyard? I sure did. Samesies. Sure did. And I still get amazed by them. I know. We were just outside the other night, and I was like, I think that was a lightning bug. I know. I do, too. Because <laughs> they're so freaking cool. It is cool. How? Their butts light up. I know. So they try to debunk stuff. You know, they're not just taking everything at face value. So they're like, okay, maybe something from the outside is making this happen. Maybe someone... Hell, maybe they hired someone and to put a little laser pin. Who mm-hmm. knows? So they get heavy quilts, some bedspreads to cover the windows and the like curtains and everything. So the only light is candlelight. So what happens is that the orbs just grow brighter because now it's so dark. Yeah. Also about these orbs, they were moving fast and pulsating so every time they would take a picture they could not capture them like they were either moving too fast or you know they'd click and they're not having digital cameras or anything right. you know it's like a fucking polaroid it's like tick, tick. exactly that's basically all that happened that night well later the next day they learned that that female photographer After they dropped her off at her apartment, she became so ill, just, and she thinks it's from that bedroom environment of doing that, that she, like, threw up. I'm not saying that it was because of the spirits or whatever. Could have been food poisoning. Hell, she could have been fucking pregnant. I don't know. One thing Dr. Taft noted is that he talked to the oldest son, and he said that all of the spirit activity would increase when he played certain music. And it would be like rock music, like Black Sabbath, mm-hmm. whatever. And Dr. Taff said it was devil worshiping. Oh, shit. So I'm like, mm, I don't think so. I don't. Mm. Okay. You know, like. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, who are you from fucking Footloose? But, so, of course, he's like, hmm, like Dr. Evil, hmm, let's play that music. Because, again, he's doing what Dibbic Douche loves to do. Let's piss him off. I was going to say, rile up the spirits. Mm-hmm. That's a great job. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, it's the fifth visit. And these are, like, weeks apart, sometimes days apart. Meanwhile, she's still getting beat up by the damn mm-hmm. thing all the time. Mm-hmm. All right. This visit... Was big. Huge. What movie? Pretty Woman. Girl, yeah. All right. They get to Doris's house and they are like, look, we're going, we're going scientific on this bitch. So they don't, I mean, it's the fucking 70s again. So they don't have like laser grids and mm-hmm. everything that people have now. So they MacGyver this bitch and they begin duct taping black poster boards up on the wall, up on the ceilings, and they're all numbered and identified with magnetic orientation. 
The white duct tape was placed between the dark panels and it formed like a grid. Think of graph paper. Mm-hmm. I know what a grid is. Thanks. Well, I'm just <laughs> saying. They did this for referencing where the lights were. Like, okay, it's in B11 mm-hmm. in 9. You know what I mean? And someone said, bingo, got it. Again, I understand a grid. <laughs> you motherfucker! <laughs> so, in this grid, and we know you know what that is, Carrie. <laughs> we have 30 individuals, basically. Like, some onlookers. Some people who are going to be like, B19, C24, all this shit while they're doing it. Some people with the cameras. Some people, like, going to provoke the spirits. You know, everything. They have all this shit. Well, the lights returned, and they were even more bright than before. But something was different this time with the lights, and they seemed to respond to the people, like, their jokes, their comments, whatever. It would respond to them, especially Doris. And so, they were like, all right, we need you to really emote. And so, she started swearing, you know, all of this, like, screaming at them, like, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they would just glow brighter and brighter and brighter. And it was in a green color, like lime green. So, Dr. Taff said it was basically... Like, the lights were a counterpart of Doris's psyche. And so, with this, they started to communicate with the lights. So, they'd ask them to blink on a certain panel, and they would. Two blinks in panel three for yes, four flashes in panel six for no, that kind of shit. I know, you know what a grid is. I mean, I wasn't going to say it, but... Mm -hmm. All right. The next evening, they received a frantic fucking phone call from Doris. And she said that all hell broke loose in their house. And all of the poster board that they put down, that grid that you know of, Mm -hmm. all tore off the walls, all tore off the ceiling. She said that she was in the bathroom directly adjacent to her bedroom. And she heard... Something very loud, and it sounded like something was being ripped off. When she went into the room to see what it was, she saw everything laying on the floor. So, they, of course, go over because they're like, well, what the fuck, you know? Mm -hmm. And Dr. Taft said that they were pulled away from the wall and ceiling with such force that portions of the paint and plaster beneath it were taken off too. Damn. In their sixth visit, this one, shit gets real. Like, real, real. Dun-dun-dun. Exactly. All right. 30 researchers in this room. 30? Mm-hmm. Crammed in this fucking room. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, you better have the fucking air conditioner on, or there better be a ghost up in here cooling this bitch Right? Up. Yes. All right, so they're all going to record. She's cursing at the spirits, doing all her shit again. Mm -hmm. They have the poster boards back up. They've done everything. That grid. The lights appear again. Everything. They're like, yeah, we're in business. Well, 
the light started to congeal. You know, they all, it started going together and it became like a green fog. So this green fog is swirling and growing bigger and bigger. And within seconds, a shape of a man's upper torso begins to manifest Uh -uh. through the fog. Nope. One of the researchers fucking fainted. That'd be me. And, of course, none of it was captured. None of it. I don't, you know how that... What the fuck were they doing? Right? I don't, I don't know. Fake. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, they had a fucking grid. Come on. It's not supposed to be scientific. You had one job. Right? The only picture that they were able to capture was this, like, free-floating arc of light over Doris as she's sitting on the bed. And what's weird about this is that there's a bend in the wall. It's like a 90-degree angle, and so normally... If that was something, like, man-made or anything, it would bend at that same point. You know, like, Mm -hmm. well, there's no bend. It looks like a white rainbow above her head. Yeah. She's like a fucking pot of gold. All right, seventh visit. It began with Doris informing them that on the previous night, exactly six days following their last day... All hell broke loose again, and she said that she and her oldest son were in the kitchen, and a pair of candelabras flew across the room like 10, 12 feet and struck her in the fucking arm. Ow. Those things are heavy. Yeah. Her son fully backed up her story. He was like, yeah, I ducked. They missed me. Hit her in the fucking arm. Like, she had a bruise, everything. They had other stuff come at them. I mean, it was just like the house was attacking them Mm -hmm. with actual objects. When they entered the bedroom, once again, all the poster boards were all the way on the ground. And at this point, they're like, look, it might be fucking Doris tearing these poster boards down. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't even understand. So they're like, all right. Let's just keep doing our work. We'll see, you know. But, I mean, how fucking frustrating is that? Yeah. So, they get to doing their shit again. And this time, it's a seance. And at one point during the seance, Carrie Gaynor suggested to the presence in the house, all right, let me see how strong you are and tear down one more of the poster boards. Shit. Yeah. And so, this way, they all know, hey, is it... Doris? Mm-hmm. Or is it this entity? Well, almost immediately, a poster board rips off the wall. Oh, God. And not only does it rip off the wall, it flies directly at Doris and smacks her in the fucking face. Damn. That poor girl is getting beat the fuck up. Yes. So, they calmed Doris down because, I mean, hello, she just got assaulted with a fucking poster board. And if she had a paper cut, that fucking hurts. Mm -hmm. Well, because Carrie is an asshat, he's like, do it again. Like, did you not just see what happened? And did you not just see her get beat the fuck up by it? Right. Uh, do it again and hit somebody else, I'd say. Yeah. Well, once again, 
It was honored and two more boards ripped from their position and thrown against the bed. At least it didn't hit Doris this time. Yeah. Barely missed her. So all of this ordeal, like that was the main thing that happened. It communicated with them that time. They did a few more visits, but it kind of died down and nothing was really resolved. It kind of fizzled out a little bit. Hmm. They were like, look, we'll keep in touch. We're going to research some more. Like, because they really didn't know how to help her. Yeah. They were just trying to figure it out. Yeah. And try to record stuff and learn stuff. And so it's kind of abrupt there, but we'll kind of circle back in a minute. Okay. An interesting note, Brian, her middle son, he said that he was just out of elementary school at this time, and he said that the presence of all of the investigators really heightened the attacks. Mm -hmm. He said it made his home life a complete hell. Like, before it was hell, now it's a whole nother level of hell. Bless it. He said in an interview, when the team would show up, I hated it, because I knew as soon as they left... The spirits would become so angry that the house would come alive. It was like they would have a temper tantrum, a hissy fit, so things would start flying. We would get attacked. Mm. And like you said, this happened over time, so it's not like just, you know, a couple of nights in a row and right. the house flips out, you know? Yeah. So that night, that, that whole, like, torso showed itself, mm-hmm. you know? He said that he was in the next room... And he said, between Barry's team of 30 or so people crammed into a small, and I mean small, room, cheering and yelling at this thing, I was in the next room trying to watch television, trying to mind my own business. And it was just like, God. Like, this is his life. Yeah. You forget that. Like, you get wrapped up in what you're doing. And meanwhile, there's a teenager trying to live his life. Yeah. And they didn't have a fucking DVR then. You missed it, you missed it. Mm Mm-hmm. God, I hated those days. So in this interview, Brian was asked about the theory that his mom created a poltergeist herself. And... So it is a poltergeist? Yeah, it is. Spoiler alert. It is. I was right. Mm -hmm. I was right. Some people would say it was an incubus because she was being raped and everything, but... It is classified as a poltergeist because she was creating it herself. So, back to that interview when we tally for Carrie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll say it again. Tally for Carrie. One more time. Tally for Carrie. (laughs) He's asked about the theory, and he said that him and his mom did have a love-hate relationship, and that really could have caused it. And she really was drinking heavily. It wasn't every single day. But when she would drink, she drank. Yeah. He He's quoted saying, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the reason. You have to understand, my mom was drinking heavily because of what was going on. She wanted to escape, so she drank. So then they ask Brian about the telekinetic, psychokinetic theory. So some people said that... It was her that was causing it, but it's because she did have special abilities. And when she would drink, it would like... Like open her up, kind of? Mm-hmm. 
and she couldn't control it. She didn't ever harness it. And so it kind of went haywire. And so Brian said that the home was unstable. We fought a fuck ton. I mean, that wasn't his word. That was mine. You just are paraphrasing. Yeah. (laughs) He said his older brother was mean. He said there was a lot of tension. And his mother's boyfriend at the time left because he couldn't handle it. The poltergeist and the tension. Mm -hmm. And he said that was a good thing. He was a bastard. So, So the boyfriend added to it, too. Yeah. And he did say that the telekinesis theory is possible because there was so much tension, so much negative energy. And he again talked about, you have to remember that there were so many people on Barry's team yelling at this thing, trying to make it come out. Camera equipment, lights, the collective energy probably made it worse. Yeah. So altogether, they were there for about two and a half months. Oh, shit. Yeah. And, like I said, as time went by, activities decreased. And probably because she was tired, probably. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, you know, who knows? Well, and I wonder, too, like, the energies from the kids. Like, if they were just like, fuck it, it's happening again. Like, yeah. Like, who gives a shit? You know, like, there just wasn't as much fear around whatever the presence was. Yeah. Well, now we're going to go back and kind of close up a little bit okay so after they looked over their research all of that they contacted doris and they're like look this is what we recommend we recommend you move oh thanks Mm -hmm. because she has the money for that yeah well she took their advice and they moved to texas she maintained contact for a little bit with barry and all of them but the attacks did not disappear she Still was brutally attacked. And also, her neighbors had some activity as well. What? So, it was like her haunting was spilling over because of all the energy. They kept moving. They moved back to California, a different area though. But eventually, they lost contact with Barry and Carrie. (laughs) Barry and Carrie. You just put that together? Yeah, I did. Okay. But I know what a grit is. <laughs> Damn. She didn't just lose contact with the researchers. She kind of tried to hide from everyone because someone found their research and was really intrigued by it and wrote a book. And it was called The Entity, which was turned into a film. And it was in 1983. It starred Barbara Hershey. What? Mm-hmm. She's the wind beneath my wings. I know, girl. Oh, don't make me cry. Cause, mm-mm. And also, this was that movie was so scary, apparently, that Martin Scorsese had like a list of 11 scariest horror films of all time, and he put it as number four. What was it called? The Entity. Oh. All right. So, one thing to note is... That at some point, while they were moving and all this activity was going on, Doris said that she became pregnant with the entity's child. Oh, motherfucking fake. <laughs> mm-hmm. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. It's, this is like that lady right now that says she's been pregnant for like, how long? Like 20 years? Yeah. With like twins or something? Yes. 
Well, she went to a doctor and she was having a hysterical pregnancy. Who's the father? Poltergeist. But <laughs> really, Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Holy fuck. Alert, alert. I pulled a fucking carry. Oh, shit. What'd you do? This whole thing was fake. And it was not a poltergeist. It was an alien. <sighs> I forgot an important detail. So one of the entities was called Mr. Who's-its. And what's its galore? Exactly. <laughs> that was his full name, but they, you know, Shortened his nickname I mean, was Who's mm-hmm. Yeah, so they said that this entity was like six feet tall and, again, like kind of a shadow person. So this would be the one that like mm-hmm. assaulted her when the other ones mm-hmm. held her down? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be the one. Is this the one that got her pregnant, supposedly? Just, just hold on. Okay. Hold on. Okay. Okay. It, it, hold on. There's more. So... This is the dumbest shit. (laughs) (laughs) So, they said that they ended up calling him Grandpa because he reminded them of their grandpa that had recently passed. All right? And so, Brian asked him one time, like, this entity, uh, like, shadow person, kind of foggy, Mm-hmm. Not really mm-hmm. in person. And he's, you know, like, who are you? And he said, my grandpa, which we know people lie. And it probably wasn't his grandpa. We know. But, yeah. So, it was just, that's really odd that. What the kind of incest yes, shit yeah, is this? It was just really odd. Yeah. Yeah. But what a creepy name. Like, Mr. Who's it? I don't know. Like, Weird. But I cannot believe I forgot to tell you about that. Like, they... He's got a thingamabob. <laughs> I got plenty. And it ended up in a fake pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. With his thingamabob. <laughs> That's where I was going with that. And clearly oh, you didn't God. get it, so no, I had to reiterate I, yeah. it. <laughs> Y'all, this got me discombobulated. About damn time I'm not the only one that pulls Apollo and Gertrude. Uh, right? God. And still you didn't, though. No. That's still not as bad as Paula and Gertrude. <laughs> it was bound to happen. I mean, no, I, I already pulled one. Bloody Mary. Oh, yeah, that's true. That one was as bad. That was real bad. Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> this bitch. <laughs> God, we are so smart. Look, look, look here. We were baby podcasters then. I, I, we, we weren't. We when were, I did. we were teenagers when you were doing. Oh, we it. were definitely um, young adults when I did it. <laughs> we were under the influence of cheesecake. True. True. All right. Well, let's go back to here. I mean, that was scary enough, but well, let's go back to this. So today, that little yellow house still stands in Culver City, but whatever haunted it left with Doris. The new owners, they've never had anything weird happen. And according to Doris's sons, she passed away in 1999 at the age of 58 from respiratory failure. God, that's young. Yeah. I feel like that just shows how hard her life was. True. And was she really 58? But, exactly. True. True. She could have been 75, 80 for all we know. <laughs> oh, damn. It was just her and one son 
in a room when she passed, and he reported seeing the balls of light appear just like they did back in the 70s. So it's like she died a haunted woman. Shit. So I hope she found some peace finally. Shit. Damn, that's deep. (laughs) How the fuck I'm going to follow that up? Oh, I know. You got something up your sleeve. I do. And her name is Shanna Grice. Shanna Grice is from Across the Pond. Oh, we know you love Across the Pond. I sure do. You're like a fucking duck. (laughs) Shanna was a beautiful young girl. She had just turned 18, was trying to figure her life out. Girl, aren't we all? She was trying to go from, you know, teenager childhood to being an adult, having a real job. So she's looking for a good, like, adult-type job. And she finds one at Brighton Fire Alarms. She starts working there. She's 18 years old. And, you know, she's living her best life. Got her little roommate. Doing her thing. While she was working there, she met a guy by the name of Michael Lane. This was back in 2015. They both worked there. I think he did some sort of, like, mechanic-type work. They had a little bit of an on-again, off-again relationship. She was also seeing another guy, and so she's just kind of figuring out which one she liked best. Yeah. You know, she's 18. She's not trying to be, like, forever going to marry you type deal. She's just living her best life. She decided that she wanted to be with her other boyfriend. His name was Ashley Cook only. Like, she didn't want to be with Michael Lane anymore, and so she ended it. Boy, bye. Well, he had a hard time accepting it. And so he would send her all these flowers, and she wasn't responding, wasn't responding. And one day she goes outside, and her tires are slit. And she's like, fuck, what am I going to do? And then, boom, up walks Michael Lane, like, hey, I can help you. You need help? I can help you. And she's like, I really fucking think he did this. And it was just like a bunch of... Little things where you can't really prove it. I mean, she knew the flowers were him, but it was just like, you know, some some weird stuff. Hang-up yeah. calls, heavy breather kind of thing. Like, she was like, okay, I, I mean, like, I know this is Michael. Like, I know he's stalking me. Well, on February 8th of 2016, she goes to police to say, look, I think that Michael Lane is stalking me. You know, she tells him, like, he's giving me all these flowers. You know, I think he damaged my car. Yada, yada, yada. Tell him to stay in his lane. His Michael lane? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, on March 24th, Michael approaches Shanna, and she's like, leave me the fuck alone kind of thing. They get into a little bit of an argument. He tries to snatch her phone from her hand, and then he grabs her hair. What? Like, as she's like, leave me the fuck alone, you know, he's like, kind of attacks her, and not kind of, he does. That's a fucking attack. And so, she calls police, and she's like, you know, this just happened. Like, he assaulted me. And so, the police come and arrest him on suspicion of assault. And then, when they're, like, arresting him, he's like, well, look. Look at my phone. Like, I have text messages from her saying that, like, she, you know, wants to hang out, all this stuff. Because she she was young. and, Mm -hmm. and, And... not even that it's young. It's a back and forth relationship. You know, sometimes they have sex, sometimes they don't. Yeah. She doesn't want a relationship with him. So when she's turning him down, he's, you know, flips his fucking lid and grabs her phone and pulls her hair. But 
you know, she's attracted to him. Yeah. And it's that pull of that relationship when, even even when it's toxic. Mm-hmm. So he showed text messages to the police, the Sussex police. And they're like, oh, well, she clearly wouldn't hang out with you. Like, it's cool. Go ahead. Wow. Go on. Like, and let him go. So the Sussex police actually find Shauna Grice. They gave her a fixed penalty notice for wasting police time by basically reporting a false, like, stalking. What? And they said that it, because she didn't disclose that she had been in a relationship with him. What the fuck? That doesn't matter. So she had to pay them. She had to pay 90 pounds for having, for, like, basically, like, a false police report. Yeah. And so she's like, what the fuck? Like, it again, like you said, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's like saying that someone that's married, like, can't be raped. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, like, can't be physically assaulted or sexually mm-hmm. assaulted. You know, that's not how this works. Exactly. And it doesn't matter if she fucked him every single day after mm-hmm. he hurt her. That doesn't change the fact that he still hurt her. You yeah. know what I mean? At this point, when I'm calling you, he is attacking me. Mm-hmm. And that's against the law, regardless of whether or not she goes back to him, because that's a whole nother bag. Mm-hmm. So what was the last text? You know, like to look at it to be like, oh, was it five minutes before he came here to be like, hey, let's hang out, you know? Or was it four nights ago being like, you up? Well, here's the thing. It shouldn't fucking matter. No, true. Because, true. because when you first started saying that, I was like... Well, good point. But on the other hand, it doesn't fucking matter. Because yeah. even if she was like, come over now, like, let's fuck. Mm-hmm. Well, she didn't say come over now and pull my hair and hit me. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. And so, let's just say she texts him, come over. And when he gets there, there's an altercation. Yeah. Regardless of whether the decision to text him mm-hmm. to come over or not was a good or a poor decision, it doesn't fucking matter. So true. So true. Because she didn't say, hey, come over and let's do this BDSM thing yeah. where you pull my hair. Yeah. And it's like a thing. Mm-hmm. She didn't want it. Period. Yeah. So true. Tally for fucking Carrie. <laughs> well, after that, you know, stuff's a little bit here and there starts happening. Again, the hang-up calls or the calls where she picks up and it's like, sounds like Darth Vader on the other end. <sighs> Trying to breathe heavy and... Or me going up a flight of stairs. I mean, me just standing up. (laughs) So, all that is still happening. But, again, she's a young girl, a young woman, who is... Has no life experience. No fucking money. Because she's just now got a job. You know, she's Mm -hmm. trying to figure life out. And all this is happening. So, do you think she's going to report it again to the police? Fuck no. She got charged 90 pounds last time. She didn't get that kind of money. So she's not going to report all these things now that have happened after the incident in March. Yeah. Fuck. So now we're into July. July 9th, to be exact. And Shanna is laying in bed. Not asleep, but she's laying there. And she hears footsteps in her house. So she kind of hides under her duvet. And she's like, okay, like what? What the fuck is that? You know? Yeah. And she hears the footsteps come into her room, stand by her bed, and hears 
someone just standing there breathing. Uh, oh, my gosh. And so she's laying there awake. They think, whoever it is thinks she's asleep. But she's just laying there like, don't move, don't move. You know, yeah. like, pretend like you're asleep. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> she's freaking the fuck out. Yeah. Well, not long after they get there, she hears the footsteps recede away. And as soon as she hears them leave, she jumps up and looks out the window and she sees Michael Lane walking away. <sighs> Fuck. What happened was he stole a fucking key to the back door of her apartment. What? So she calls police immediately and is like, what the fuck? How, you know, he just came in and they arrest him on theft of the key. Mm-hmm. Just of the key. Mm-hmm. And just say, like, okay, go, but stay away from her. Oh, my God. Well, one thing that the police told her in all this, you know, when they thought she was lying about Mm -hmm. it and all that and charged her or fined her for wasting their time, they said that there's no evidence. There's no evidence to support that he's stalking you, so bring us some evidence kind of thing. Mm. So she was like, fine, I'll fucking get my evidence. And so, after he breaks into her house with the key he stole, she calls him. Whoa. So, when she calls him, she records the call. And she very matter-of-factly says, like, what the fuck, bro, you stole the key. You know? (laughs) And he's like, I know, I know. And she's like, why? Why did you do that? Why did you break in? And he was like, well, because I wanted to see you and I knew you wouldn't let me come in. Oh, okay. Well, um, that means she didn't want you to, so don't <laughs> fucking come in. What the fuck? And she's like, what? Like, that could have been bad. Like, what if you would have, like, flipped your lid? And he's like, oh, I wouldn't. And she's like, what if I had somebody home with me? Like, you know, like, you, you could have, you could have. Like, what would have happened if I had, like... Basically brought somebody home from the bar. Yeah. And he was like, well, I'd have just left. Oh, okay. And she's like, well, like, you, she calls them the girls. You scared the girls. The, they're her roommates. Like, oh, okay. He's scared. I mean, could you imagine? Oh, my God, no. If your roommate's boyfriend, who's fucking stalking her, <laughs> stole a key to the back door of your apartment, townhouse, condo, whatever the fuck they're living in, and came in mm-hmm. while she was sleeping? What? I mean, and I believe they call the flats true (laughs) tally for donna (laughs) i mean you might know a grid but you know a flat (laughs) because that's what i sing damn okay so the next day she gets seven different phone calls from a block number again heavy breathing the police told her that there were no further lines of inquiry and the case would be left on file oh my gosh so on july 12th she tells police, like, look, he's following me. He, everywhere I go, he shows up. Like, how does he fucking know where I am? Like, he's he's following me, you know? Yeah. She's looked up in a rearview mirror before, and boom, there he is. And then even on August 4th, she sees him just hanging out outside of her house. And she tells her friend, Joanne Pumphrey, but she tells her friend, like, I can't go to police. I'm so scared to go to them because they've already fucking fined me. Yeah. And they don't believe me. He came into the house. They just said, stay away, <laughs> charge him for stealing the key. And then I tell him he's following me. I see him in my rear view mirror. He's showing every, up everywhere I go. And they still don't fucking believe me. And so she's like, 
I'm not going to tell him. And so she didn't report that he had been hanging out outside of her house. Even though this time she has somebody that saw it too. Yeah. Well, come to find out, he had put a fucking tracking device on her car. Oh, my God. And so every night when it was dark, when she was home, he would come change the battery out. Oh, my God. Get you some Energizer batteries. And so that's how he would just show up everywhere. Because he had her, I mean, because it's 2016. Yeah. I mean, he'd probably just pull that shit up on his iPhone. Yeah. I'm sure there was an app for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, I mean, it's it's peaked at this point. On August 25th, Shanna Grice was at her house. Her boyfriend and roommates had left for the day, going to work and all of that. And while she was home alone, Michael Lane let himself back into her home, and slit her throat. What? hmm She was 19 years old at the time of her murder. Oh, my gosh. And he was 27. So, that also shows the dynamics of the relationship in that he was older, she was significantly younger. Thank you, Carrie. Well, I told you. Grids. I'm good at math. <laughs> After he killed Shayna, he tried to set her bedroom on fire to cover the forensic evidence, but it didn't work. So, he leaves and goes to work. Oh, yeah. Just another day. Her body was found by her boyfriend's father. And I'm not... Those kind of details of how he came to the house and all that are kind of fuzzy for me. I don't really... Yeah. I don't really know. But, so, the police go and arrest... Michael Lane, like, that same day, his job, when he was first arrested, he lied to the police, and he was like, look, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I haven't been to Shannon's house. Like, what you talking about? Well, then he was like, okay, I went to her house. (laughs) But he says that when he got there, the front door was open, and that he went in and saw her body in her bedroom. And so he said that he flipped out, panicked and ran and then lied to the police and he said that he what like he flipped out so much that he didn't call 999 which is mm-hmm. their number one he didn't check to make sure she was alive yeah and he didn't tell anybody what he saw and he says that he didn't tell people because he figured that he would be blamed for her murder that doesn't look suspicious at all mm-hmm So, like I said, he got arrested for it. He goes to trial because he pleads not guilty. And the trial lasts about two weeks. And he was found guilty. And he was sentenced to life with a minimum of 25 years. Thank God. Well, Shanna's parents, Sharon Grice, and it was her and her stepdad, Richard Green, are like, I fucking blame Sussex Police Department. Mm. Because if they had done their due diligence not victim-blamed, and not assumed that just because they had had a prior relationship that you can't be stalked. Right. She would still be alive. You know what assuming does. Makes an ass out of you and me. The judge agreed, too. When he sentenced Michael Lane, he did this whole kind of monologue of not only how Michael Lane is an asshole and shows no remorse and all of this, He also says this. 
There was seemingly no appreciation on the part of those investigating that a young woman in a sexual relationship with a man could at one time and the same time be vulnerable and at risk of serious harm. The police jumped to conclusions and Shanna was stereotyped. Good for that judge. Mm -hmm. The Sussex police apologized to her family and actually asked themselves for like an independent review kind of a investigation. Mm -hmm. And that came from the independent police complaints commission. And in April of 2017, the Sussex police department got six different recommendations from the inquiry because clearly they need to evaluate the way that the department handles and manages stalking cases. Yeah. Basically they recommended that you need to overhaul and completely educate and train all of your police officers on how to handle stalking and harassment and that basically it's an it's a serious event and in certain situations such as those involving Shanna can have tragic consequences yeah a couple of course a couple of the big wigs are like we know we know we're, we're already doing training we're doing mm-hmm. training this is what else we found out the police later said oh by the way Michael Lane 13 other women have complained about him <gasps> No. Oh, that fucker. Mm-hmm. And then in April of 2019, three officers faced disciplinary action. Two officers, one retired, will face gross misconduct proceedings. Mm. And then another one will have internal misconduct actions. But you know what I don't hear? People losing their goddamn job. Exactly. Because if I fuck up at work... I lose my job. Yep. This is someone's life. Yeah. I will say, though, that one of the officers did resign before the disciplinary hearing because of the allegations against him were were that he failed to, quote, adequately investigate allegations of harassment and stalking because this officer was the one that didn't handle the, the key incident properly. Oh. And then again, so that was July 9th, and then again on July 12th, that he, this officer did not contact her and get, like, an update or a report on the following. Like, yeah. like on him following her car. Wow. And then when there was contact, it was a letter saying, the case is closed. So, again, because, you know, her friends and family and everybody are like, you know, it's it was this handling that she didn't continue to contact the police because they were doing nothing about it. Yeah. And actually making her pay for it. Exactly. Like, the fact that they charged her, like, <laughs> charge, sorry, fined her for fucking, like, basically a false report. Yeah. It's so absurd. Yes. And again, it's not like this happened in 1970 when we didn't understand, not that we fully understand stalking, but, I mean, come the fuck on. Yeah. This is like... Three years ago. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. It doesn't end there. Oh, my God. A lady by the name of Michelle Savage called the Sussex Police Department on February 26, 2018. And she said that her ex-husband, Craig Savage, was not accepting that their marriage was ending. And that they had separated a month before. And... Basically, she just kind of wanted to get it on record that 
she feels like shit's going down kind of thing. Yeah. She met with a police officer on March 1st and told the police about kind of the goings-on of stalking behavior that Craig was doing to Michelle. She was like, look, I basically, I'm, I'm not ready to make a full statement. Like, I mean, they just separated. She's like... I just need a paper trail kind of thing. She's like, but I'm not ready to make a full statement in that, like, press charges. Yeah. A week later, she called the police again, and she was like, okay, I'm still having trouble with him. I'm ready to make a full statement. Like, he's taken to damaging our vehicles now, and, like, it's escalating. Oh, my God. I really, we need to, like, do something. Two days later... She went to the police again, met with the same officer, and, you know, made her full statement. I don't know why it didn't happen the day before, or, you know, two days before that, whenever she called him, but it didn't. Again, she said, you know, she wants police to take action, and they were like, okay, well, we're going to pass your case over to an investigator. Well, six days later, on March 16th, 2018, Craig Savage who was a former soldier, went to the shooting range just to do some target practice and rented out an M4 semi-automatic rifle to do the target shooting. Well, when he got it, what he ended up doing was stealing the gun. He threatened the staff member working there, like, I'm taking this gun, you know. He takes the gun, leaves with it, gets to Michelle's house, breaks in, And Michelle's mom, Michelle's grandmother, and sister, who's pregnant, are all in the house just sitting down to eat their Chinese takeaway. Oh, gosh. Michelle was 32. Her sister, who was pregnant, was 24. Their mom, Heather Whitbread, is 53. And, of course, I can't find how old the grandma was. Awesome. He breaks in, has the freaking semi-automatic rifle, shoots Michelle six times. What? Shoots her mother, Heather, seven times in the back, and point-blank range, execution-style, kills their dog, Zeus. No. Uh Uh-uh. No, motherfucker. Raven, again, she's pregnant. She runs to the back of the house to hide with her grandmother, and they call... 999 for the police. After the shooting, Craig leaves the house. He's walking down the street. Armed police officers are chasing him. I mean, they're usually armed. And they're like, you know, get down, put your weapon down. And he kneels down, aims the gun at them, and then just like ducks off and runs. Then they start doing this huge man search for him. Like, takes a helicopter with a thermal camera on the beach. To find him. And he finally surrendered to the police, put the gun down, you know, surrendered. He also had a two-week trial, was found guilty of two counts of murder, and was sentenced to 38 years in prison And on October 29th of 2018. Wow. So, again, Sussex police not taking a stalking case seriously. Holy shit. So, two women have died because... This police department did not take, well, I'm sorry, three women have died because not only did Shanna die and Michelle, but Michelle's mom too, Heather. 
Mm-mm-mm. Like, the police in that aspect are acting criminally... Negligent. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, they decided to, quote, consider if they should require officers to complete a stalking screening risk assessment tool with a victim. Uh, you think? And they did another investigation into it, the same investigation that they did for Shanna's murder. And they found that one call handler of the police staff did have misconduct as it relates to breaching standards in relation to instructions and also work and responsibilities. The T of it is, they said they they did what they should do and they launched the investigation into themselves. But it was a whole lot of, well, this person did this and this person did that and we're going to, we're going to, you know, have disciplinary actions mm-hmm. and all this, but it's like, no, you need to change the fucking culture. Yes. And you need to change the way these officers are hand- handling investigations for victims of stalking. I will say, though, I have to read these quotes because it kind of pissed me the fuck off. Oh, God. So, the IOPC, which is the agency that did the inquiry into the Sussex police... Their regional director, Sarah Green. There are so many people with the last name Green in this. (laughs) Shauna's stepdad, her judge, and now this. Oh, wow. Yeah. Anyway, this director, I'm just going to read this, okay, because it pisses me the fuck off. The senseless and tragic loss of Michelle and her mother, Heather, devastated their family and friends, and my thoughts remain with all of those affected by the events that evening. Although through this investigation, we identified areas for Sussex police to learn from, Craig Savage was responsible for killing Michelle and Heather. Tackling domestic abuse is not solely the responsibility of any single agency, and it is not only the police who have a role to play in ensuring the safety of those who are abused. Are uh, What? Um, a big fuck you. Because... What? Michelle did her fucking due diligence. She did exactly what she should have done to to ensure her safety. Yes. She called the police. She made her report. Was she hesitant at first? Absolutely. It was her husband. Yeah. They had just separated. Who knew that this was going to happen? Who knew that he was going to, you know what I mean? She just thought that maybe like, okay, let's start the paper trail. But you know what? Look, let's not, let's not go the full arrest route. Like, let's just start the paper trail. Yeah, let's not ruin his life. He hasn't done it yet, but he's just in case. Yes, I mean nobody is saying that one that it's the police's responsibility to stop every single fucking stalking case ever in the history of the world. Right. Nobody fucking said that. What they said was you don't find a fucking victim ninety fucking pounds because they reported that they were being stalked when they actually were because you don't understand it and you're victim blaming. Yeah. That's where I have a huge fucking problem with this story. Yeah. And, and you know, and I think, too, the thing that just fucking blows my mind, and I told you that quote got me heated. I think the other thing that just fucking blows my mind is this just happened. I mean, yeah. this is like, the first one was three years ago, and this one was two years ago. That's crazy. I just don't understand in this time and climate how we can still victim blame. Yeah. And not understand victims and why they report things they report and don't report and victims of abuse that go back to their abuser and all that 
Like, I feel like we've begun to understand that more. Again, this is not 1973. Like, yeah, we understand the cycle of violence. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so I just don't understand why this happened. I feel like are cases of stalking always avoidable as far as the escalation? No. That's why I'm saying her, her, nobody's saying what she is insinuating that they're saying. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Like nobody's saying that it's solely the police's responsibility. Mm-hmm. No, it's not because you can't stop every single case that's going to escalate in that way. Right. But had they taken those two cases seriously from the start, it's quite probable that it would not have escalated that way. Right. Especially in the case of Michael Lane, when he had 13 other women who had filed complaints on him. Yeah, that's... That's called a pattern. Yes. Yes. At least justice was served, Mm -hmm. and Craig and Michael are both in jail. Thank God for that. That is the only silver lining in this story. I truly hope that the Sussex Police Department has changed their protocols and their policies to implement different ways of handling reports of stalking. Yeah. I really hope so. That's... I know. This case is like... Like, it's not even a case. It's two cases. It's like a situation, I guess. Yeah. Say. But it's just like... It's so frustrating. And it's it just leaves... It just leaves like an angry pit in my stomach. Yeah, You know? Because it's like there's resolution... Mm-hmm. Because both of the murderers are in jail, but it's so senseless. Yeah. And he he killed their dog. I can't even with that. Mm-mm. He crossed a line there, buddy. Um, I'm just thankful that her sister and her mother, her grandmother got away. Yeah. Although, again, I know I've said this all the time, but how do you mourn the loss of two people at once? Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. One life is hard enough, much less two. I don't get it. I don't. I, my brain can't process that level. Yeah, of, no. I don't know. So on that note, what did we learn? That I have a pit in my stomach. <laughs> Why is life depressing? <laughs> I don't know. Why do we do a podcast about murder? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Something I learned from my story is self care is definitely important because. Good golly, Miss Molly. Negative energy breeds negative energy. It really does. And then it attacks your ass. It really does. And that is so scary. I do not need to haunt myself because I am a fucking monster. We know. <laughs> yeah, it it's, it is true. Like, I mean, think about your everyday life. Like, you know, you have a bad day at work or you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and just that negativity... Mm-hmm. Just fuels your fire the whole day. Yes. You know? Or if you're around people who are negative all the time and, you know, they you you find yourself thinking the way you know, let's say you have a coworker that hates their job and you actually don't hate your job, but they do and that's all they talk about, then you are like, Yeah, you know what? Fuck this place. You yes. Know? <laughs> yes. Or even if you're not like, fuck this place, you're like, fuck you. This is a good job, like, and you have resentment to that coworker too. Oh, yeah, I can you see know. That. So it's it's still negative though. Yeah. So, God, but being negative is so easy and sometimes so, so fun. I know, I know. Look, yeah. 
And if I can move stuff with my mind. No. Girl. Be like, I need that Diet Coke. I'm bringing it back to what you said already. Don't fucking assume. You know what you get. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't be an asshole. Don't make me an asshole. Don't assume. For sure. Because. It's so dangerous. It costs three people their lives. And a dog. I can't even say words. I'm so mad about this case. Like. Yeah. You should have seen me researching. I was like, this motherfucker. This is bullshit. (laughs) Well, because. Like you said, they both did exactly what we're taught to do. Mm-hmm. Make a paper trail. Keep receipts. All mm-hmm. of this. Cover your own ass. They're doing it. And then when law enforcement, one, finds your ass, mm-hmm. you're definitely, hell, I ain't got the money to be fined again. So I mean, legitimately, she was young, starting out. There, I mean, she couldn't afford it. Yeah. Well. And then... If she did it and she got fined again and she didn't pay it, then she'd probably get arrested. Yeah, she'd... Well, and that creates a record for her. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, heaven forbid, something happened to her. Like, if she didn't get murdered there, bless her heart, and something else happened, they're like, well, she lied here. Exactly. Here, here, here. And she wasn't lying. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, look, she's already filed a false complaint. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Can't stand people like that. My blood pressure is up. So let's take it down. Number three. What you got? I'm so thankful that you explained a grid to me. You motherfucker. (laughs) 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 Oh, you. Just you wait. We're going to play tic-tac-toe. We're going to play bingo. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going to play boggle. Not really a grid. No. Connect four. I hate Connect Four. It's really hard. It really is. Really is. <laughs> On that note, remember creep it real and, and don't, don't get, get scared. scared. Stay fresh, cheese bags.